0: Gary Neville responded instantly. He said, But I've got so much more to say on this subject. I found lots of people like that. It, 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 it's a rivalry of such intensity and emotion. Subscribe
1: now to the OTB Football Podcast stream, wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports the Sunday app. Sunday Papers on Off the Ball.
2: Now then, you're welcome along. Sunday Papers, Joe Malloy with you this afternoon. We'll go through the back pages to get the ball rolling. We have the Sunday Mirror. First of all, it's a picture of Jurgen Klopp and the headline is United Must Cop It. So obviously the uh, press conference is in advance of Monday's game and one of the issues which has arisen is the possibility of crowd trouble and maybe even a repeat of the game being abandoned. And so Klopp says if that was to happen as a result of Manchester United fans, then the points should go to Liverpool. We have the Observer here. Picture the Arsenal players celebrating... Yesterday, very comfortable. Top Guns is the headline. Arsenal romped to summit. Thanks to a quickfire double for Odegaard. And then we have the back page of the Mail on Sunday. Sterling's rage at City. This is Raheem Sterling. He doesn't overly elaborate on the situation here, but he talks about how he left Man City and he was fuming at the treatment. So one of the quotes, for instance, is when you play your heart out, Sacrifice some of your kids' birthdays and then get treated in a certain way. It's disappointing. At the time I was fuming, raging, but it's gone. It's in the past and I can only focus on the present. So he doesn't actually say you get treated in a certain way. It's disappointing what that treatment was, but certainly he wasn't happy about it at the time. So that's Raheem Sterling on the back pages there. The Sunday Times front page. They have Arsenal celebrating yesterday as well. Top Gunners and then beneath that. Anthony, the Brazilian player for Ajax. So Manchester United initially bid 60 million for him. They upped that to 80 million. And now it seems Ajax, like most clubs when they see Manchester United coming, are rubbing their hands and they're going to up that to 100 million for Anthony, who scored eight league goals in 23 appearances under Ten Hag last season. So uh, eyebrows raised, I think, again there. Sunday Independent, front page, and it's Harry Kane. Uh, scoring a landmark goal for uh, Spurs so no player in the Premier League has scored more goals in the Premier League for one club he's 185 for uh, Spurs obviously Shearer and others have scored more for clubs combined and then beneath that Klopp ready to pile more misery on hapless rivals and finally Sunday World again it's Klopp and it's that point about fan trouble potentially tomorrow your problem so Klopp saying the points should go to Liverpool very happy to say in studio a Foley journalist and broadcaster you're very welcome Thanks, Dale. And Kieran Cunningham, chief sports writer with the Irish Daily Star, uh, joins us online. Hey Kieran.
1: Hi. How are you, Joe? Hi, Cleaner.
2: Just to uh, leave off on those front pages for a second, uh, Manchester United and Ajax and Anthony, There's a very good just uh, summary of where Man United are by Duncan Castles on that front page. So they're going to pay 100 million for Anthony or they're going to try to. Then their owners, the Glazer family, under increasing su- uh, supporter pressure, to sell the club to Jim Ratcliffe, who was born in Greater Manchester and supports the club. They have a uh, Casemiro is going to get a big increase on his 9 million euro Real Madrid salary to leave. They have uh, the point that United uh, bid for João Felix, 135 million euro and were, were rejected. And they have Ten Hag is now willing to sell Ronaldo and they have the story that Rashford has uh, encouraged PSG to continue with their interests. So that's a very good quick oh. summary. of the,
1: <laughs>
2: uh, Yeah, it just
1: team. seems all so reactive, Joe. It yeah. uh, doesn't seem to be proper planning. Like, uh, I don't think Casemiro or Anthony, know that they were top of the United's wanted list six weeks ago or even a month ago. But definitely not at the start of the summer. And as you pointed out, you know, uh, for the fee they're paying and the wages they are going to give Anthony, for someone who scored eight goals in a league where um, it's not the strongest and where Ajax would expect to score a lot of goals, you know, it's just to make the leap up. Casemiro, I think, is a really good player and has had a great career, but uh, his incentive to go to United must be the wages. You know, he's won five Champions Leagues. You know, he's, he's played at a top level. and no Real effectively bought his replacement. But he's he seems to be there for a payday and you know there might have been a bit of that with Raphael Varan. He slipped down the an order with United. He's not guaranteed to this place now. So United just seems a squad that's patched together by different managers with different ideas and there's no real planning. The Glazers get most of the blame, but uh, in financial terms a lot of money has been spent on players and still looks like a mess of a squad.
2: Well, in Ronaldo, Varane and Casemiro, Real Madrid must think this is the greatest old folks home of all time.
0: <laughs> you ship yeah. them on and get lots of money. It's yeah. fantastic. It's funny, though, like for for all that we talk about money and we always, you know, slag everybody off about the money and say, oh, people are signing for big money. It is interesting that Sterling, Sterling came up with that line about, you know, I, you know my value isn't being recognised and I miss time with my kids and I just think that that's interesting like I'm always kind of inclined to say oh sh- they'll do anything for money and it's really only about the money but what Sterling says in that piece I think it was a general interview thing, Sky thing yeah. actually it isn't about the money sometimes it's about the ego or it's about how they feel valued and there is a human element to all of that and it's it is how well you manage people, oh, yeah. if you like. And sometimes I think I, f- I forget that because I always go, oh, you see the billions and you just think, oh, for goodness sake, it's stupid money and it's it's all about money. And actually what he's saying is it isn't about the money sometimes. <coughs> it's about how they treat you. And I just think Rod Little has a piece today in the, in the Sunday Times and and his whole point is that, yeah, everything, you know, it's, it is a company. Complete and utter crap fest and everything has gone wrong. But he goes back to the thing is that they have never managed to get a manager that replaced Ferguson. Mm. You know.
2: Yeah, he does make the argument that they've spent the billion. Yeah. To be fair to him, because it's the obvious repast, They've mm. spent the billion in the worst way imaginable. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: But they've spent a
2: billion uh, nonetheless. It does feel like maybe we're entering some kind of endgame for the uh, Glazers. The sense in a couple of pieces is that they... Are genuine now about thinking about bringing in somebody else, and there is pressure obviously to sort out the stadium. And They've been in Carrington 22 years now, and that's mad, fallen behind as mad well.
0: It's think of that, that it's 22 years. New age. It was, new age like, yeah, it was a new age when it was built. In the cliff. Uh, yeah, it is mad when you, like that's how quickly it just seems to be moving all the time. And it, the,
1: it all comes down to Alex Ferguson uh, having yeah. a row over a racehorse. <laughs> but, you know, Ferguson isn't seen. blameless in this. Like, no, that's how the Glazers no. came in. Yeah. He worked under the Glazers, he never uh, raised a word. Uh, you know, he he wasn't a position of power, and he could have criticised them, or could have put pressure on them. I mean, there's ambassadorial roles and various roles since then. It's so mm-hmm. never he course, hasn't, yeah, ago. yeah.
0: And there is a the Telegraph have a piece, the Indo have it today. Just a just a piece on what could happen if that you know they're looking at the feeding frenzy on if it goes up for sale or who's going to buy it or the potential. And it's just a really that for me was a really interesting piece. It Might be where people haven't looked at, it, just in terms of what could happen, where it could go. I mean, really all of this could be in the Sunday Business Post. No. You know what I mean? It's a business story. But of course, it's not a business story. Yeah, I think the
1: about Matt Cooper's actually done a big piece on the business. Yeah. Post, yeah. You know, yeah. in the
0: business. Post. Yes, yeah.
2: I don't know how many million Ferguson gets for being an ambassador, but it's the best few million the Glazers <laughs> spend every year to keep him quiet. Absolutely. Uh, Wayne Rooney, if you're interested, by the way, so he's often talking about Manchester United, he's, uh, he's still shocked seven days on from the Brentford game and uh, he couldn't get over the lack of work ethic," he said of the team. "They're emotionless. There's no character, no heart in the team." He said, "I'm not talking about every player. Harry Maguire will always try. Fred will always try. Scott McTominay may not be Paul Scholes or Michael Carrick, but he will always go out and show some balls." Those three have been trying to lift the group, but it comes down to individuals to take responsibility. Yeah. So not, uh, not
1: a bit in that show. In uh, he's given the British players, you know, he's letting them off a
2: little bit. Uh, but he mentions Fred. You know, this, mentions Fred. Well, he
1: mentions Fred, I suppose. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, and he does talk about players throwing their arms up and then players who make a, an eye-catching run to close down the goalkeeper but they don't make a 50-yard run back to stop an attack and uh, he says he wouldn't play Cristiano Ronaldo or Marcus uh, Rashford on Monday night and he's very concerned about Rashford watching him he says Casemiro will improve United but, but he's not sure if that's exactly what United need just now it's not um, a priority and he says then at the end of De Gea He's OK with his feet, but he's not a keeper. Mm. He's going to dominate games. And all in all, you, you tot up Wayne Rooney's column and it's all uh, very, very grim. Uh, Tommy Conlon, by the way, just in passing. I mean, the headline of, effectively of his piece sums it up. He's uh, He's highlighting a conversation between Pep Guardiola and a journalist during the week where the journalist asked in a couple of different ways, (laughs) you already have quite the lead over Liverpool. (laughs) And is acknowledging this is a ridiculous question to ask two games in, but given the margins between the side and the likelihood that City won't really wobble all that much, barring injuries, it does feel like we are in danger of this thing getting getting away
1: Generally, City hit the mid-90-point mark.
2: Yeah.
1: And with Haaland on board, you would expect 95 points at least. So Liverpool... uh, it's margin of error to hit anything around there's already very tight, haven't dropped four points. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool don't win if United. I think United will come up with some in kind of response tomorrow. It could well be a draw because Liverpool have a lot of injury problems as well. So suddenly, because you would expect City to win today, they could be six points ahead. And I don't think there's anybody else realistic uh, rivals to City. Like I can't see Tottenham, Arsenal, or Chelsea putting it up to them over the course of the season. So, mad as it seems, you could be going into the end of August and thinking this title race could be a procession.
0: And that's that's Tommy's point, isn't it? That That's oh. the level of expertise and money and everything that's been spent. Now the margins very so tiny yeah. that actually even though it seemed a crazy question and they kept trying to duck it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an outrageous no. question to be asked. There's a good piece, I thought I thought it was an interesting piece because the whole Liverpool United think people might be interested in the Sunday Times, Jonathan Norcroft. Just on you know how the american owners of liverpool you know were different in how they handed over control and and what was done with them and, and of course it finishes with that killer last line <laughs> saying the evening before united's 4-0 humbling at brentford's their under 21s played crystal palace they were trashed 5-1 mm. you know and that is like that's the, that's the concern i think for for the many millions of man united fans out there it's not just what's happening with the senior team but what could be happening you know somewhere down further in the club as well in long term but it is, it's it's It. and it's also extraordinary to see how it dominates the papers today.
2: Dominates the papers.
0: Totally dominates yeah. the papers today. Isn't it incredible? Because we
2: talked a lot about Manchester United on the Sunday papers last week as we were fresh from the Brentford yeah, defeat. Yeah, I yeah. did think to myself, well, let's avoid going. No, it's, big it's all over today. the
0: place again. But it well, just well, shows well, what But they,
1: they are playing tomorrow. And yeah, I suppose. To yeah, able, yeah, but, yeah, that's um, true. The big game. So, so normally, yeah, you know, yesterday the only you know, Arsenal's Tottenham both played, but like Ch- a city of Chelsea played today. Liverpool United play tomorrow, so soccer-wise, yeah, it is a big game. Uh, I can game. perfectly understand why that game is the today.
2: And are you because uh, we get contrasting feedback <laughs> lightly here in <on> the show? <laughs> are you thoroughly sick of all the talk of Manchester United, or do you readily accept this is a huge story and it's and it's a developing, unfolding story?
1: Uh, of course, it, it's a, no, it's a huge, it's it's clearly a huge story, and you can see why it's covered so much. I I, I get a bit fed up with just people. Uh, Same. it's all down to do with the glazers. You know, I think players and coaches and managers. And, um, you know, like directors of football, and uh, you know, a lot of things that people were asking for were put in place, you know. And, mm. you know, the, when a lot of these transfers were made, you know, the likes of Aram, uh, Jadon Sancho, the consensus was they were very good signings. So...
0: And that's why I, I think I the know. Sterling story is interesting because it does give you some insight into you know, that it's not all about money it's how you manage players, you know, even brilliant players and just that whole ego element of players as well, and why they might not be, you know, tying in with each other or working well as a team. I just, I, yeah. it's interesting. I did say we're just saying to Joe here th- there is an interesting piece in the which you don't expect to find it in the Culture Magazine of the Sunday Times yeah. on uh, you know Ryan Re- Reynolds and Rob McElhenney and uh, and the Wrexham thing, and and actually that's interesting as well. Just I think it, in some ways it ties in with it, even though it's a totally different end of things, but like. They do look at you know because because of course there's the welcome to Wrexham. The, the documentary is coming up and it's I think it's opening in yeah. Disney soon.
1: But, but, but ultimately it comes down to recruitment, Joe. That uh, and uh, that recruitment applies to managers and coaches as well. In 2013, United had a very good chance to get Klopp. You know they met with Klopp. Um, you know it seemed it could happen, and it didn't happen. And even with the Glazers there, if he was given anything like that billion. What would Klopp have done, even with the problems with the stadium and the training ground? You mm. would have think that he would have made significant progress. So ultimately it comes down to they got the wrong managers. David Moyes never had the pedigree. Louis van Gaal was a 1990s relic. Mourinho was past his past, best. Yeah. Solskjaer was unproven. Raniak was out of the game a couple of years ago. And now they've taken a punt for Ten Hag, who has a lot to prove outside of the Dutch league. So... They've never got the recruitment of manager rights since Ferguson. that's a very important
0: part of it. And that's exactly what the, the Roddle piece is about as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: On Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney, who bought Wrexham, a struggling Welsh club, as you said, it's in the Sunday Times Culture magazine, pages four and five. It's the cover story. Now, I think most of us couldn't get our heads around this, especially, you know, as as Reynolds in particular was very open about the fact he knew nothing about football. And I must say, the fact that there is a Disney documentary has made me uh, doubly cynical. Although, you know, the piece (laughs) by Stephen Armstrong here does say, cynics may object that the plan was always to make a documentary rather than focusing purely on Wrexham. And needless to say, the owners have denied this um, completely. And they're, they're at pains to say how much they've fallen in love with Football. I'd no football knowledge beyond playing as a kid Reynolds explained slowly but surely I engage in everything from admin to community building the business side which I understand now my week is built around when Wrexham are next playing I mean who knows maybe it is a very genuine thing he's worth the 150 million I guess you've got to fill your time you, somehow
0: yeah yeah, absolutely and um, uh, they, they quote uh, the guy who runs the Wrexham fans and a guy called Andy Gil- Gilpin and this is interesting so he was saying like Everybody was cynical as well when the locals, he came in. The locals yeah. were really cynical, and he was saying there was a Dover game. We were five-two. Then we went five-two down. Then we won at six-five. The next game, he got a private plane to come over to watch. He's hooked. But um, what he, what he, what is, what is very good though is, is like there, there are some really hard heads in this quoted saying, um, including a British comedian who's a friend of McElhenney, saying, I had to explain that no matter how successful the team is, someone will come up to them and call them a see you next Tuesday. Yeah. The first game they attended Maidenhead, they received abuse. And I think they actually enjoyed it. And, and, and I'd say the culture is so different from American sports culture as well that it must be interesting to them as well. But it is an interesting thing. And um, I, I I think, you know, cynical or not, or however people will view it, yeah. Just to get that little bit of an insight, I think people will be watching that documentary.
2: Uh, Stephen Armstrong, the journalist, it's probably a perfect summary. He says it's like Clarkson's farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meets Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a great description okay. of it. Sold. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting phase.
2: Yeah, so we'll see that. That's on Disney Plus. Yeah. If you're interested, from August 25th, um, that is their toughest roles yet. Is the headline. We will take a very short break. We are back with more from Kleana and Karen in just one second.
1: The Sunday Papers on Off The
2: Ball. Welcome back. So, Clínifoley in studio, Kieran Cunningham is with us as well. We've just touched on a lot of the football coverage and there is a lot of it in the papers. Also a lot of reflections on athletics and a very successful European Championships for Irish competitors. Eamon Sweeney, back page of the Sunday Independent. Irish are no longer also runs. So this piece does what it says in the tin really and finishes by saying this was the week Irish Athletics started to shout stop now it's onwards and upwards and he begins Cleena um, and you would have followed Kieran McGean's career very closely like mm. uh, most of us think he begins by talking about how brilliant her run was and it was the run of her life and she's you know charts her emergence as the finest young talent since Sonia O'Sullivan with the world youth silver medal in '09, has had a brilliant career with some disappointments thrown in and uh, on Friday night in the fifteen hundred meters, where she finished second to uh, Laura Muir, that was a, an exceptional run from McGee.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I don't often disagree with Eamon, um but um, I'm, I'm, I, just think some of the coverage of it of the athletics this week has been there's been a bit of hyperbole into it, um, and a little bit carried away. I think in some respects, um, and there's just like there is a line at this, you know. Um, like we saw Sarah Healy who was you know again the next big thing you know brilliant young um, young runner who came out this week and was really honest about where she struggles she never she won everything at underage level and was just brilliant 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 and now she's struggling just in the in the in the foothills of senior career and she was saying she finds it hard to mentally not switch off in races and I'm really interested in that aspect of things because I think she demonstrates exactly what Kira demonstrated Kira McGee in, in I think it was 2010 took a silver medal at World Junior. Now, that to me is the barometer of where you're going to go in your senior career. And while she's had success, she's had unbelievable struggles, right? And, and in the end of this piece, Eamon says a lesson of the past week performances by, um, by uh, Shannon, the young 800 meter runner and Sarah Healy, is that talent will out. It actually won't. The chances are so slim. The margins are so tiny. The, s- the standard at world level, apart from European, a world level, an Olympic level, where everyone's going to expect now that Rashida Adel- Adel- Adelaide will, will be successful. They are so extraordinarily high that actually talent won't out. It takes unbelievably exception. And people are saying, oh, um, Rashida. And look, I had Rashida in this studio with her mum when she was 15, sitting in here at 15. Gorgeous mother, Adele, Just how she comes, her family are just phenomenal people. Mm-hmm. And... Talking about what could happen and where she might go, you know, and they were totally practical, you know, totally realistic, and saying, "Look, we don't know. She's she's getting on great, but she's trying to get through her student, her college, and she might go to America. And we don't know what's going to happen." And just remember how brilliantly practical and really, but she has, she does, she has incredible grit and determination and focus. But everyone is saying, "Oh, she's only nineteen, and she turns twenty on August the yeah. 29th But like. Some of the best runners in the world at the moment are 19 and 20. Um, Kelly Hodgson, English girl, 800 meter, um, beaten in the Olympics by Ating Mu, uh, who's 20, uh, actually 19. She won the world 800 meters at 19. Like uh, uh, Rashida is not the only extraordinarily talented teenager in the sure. world. It just there's such an ocean. You know, I, I don't know how Kieran feels as well, how you feel. But like we and, and it's so small here that when they have some success at this level, Everyone thinks, oh, they're going to do it again and again and again. And Kira McGeehan is such a brilliant example of how brilliant she was as a junior, how much she's gone through and how now at 30, Mm. It's coming right for her again, and so I just think we should never, we should never let any of that, you know. We should keep things in perspective all the time. I mean, just like everybody, just so delighted to see these incredible kids coming through again. And actually, one of the pieces, and there's a really interesting piece by Carol Denny as well in the end of today on their coaching, I'll because what we're, we're sec, yeah. what we're producing is world class coaches here as well. A lot of them unpaid, and you know, you've had some of them on the show and off the ball during the week as well. So it is it is a fantastic time. They they are being inspired, but Kira McGee actually, I think is going to be her success at the weekend and the way she raced and the way she's racing now, that confidence that she's racing and her self-belief. I think that for somebody like Sarah Healy, who is we know is so incredibly talented middle distance runner, they are going to be, she's going to inspire them. I think Kira is inspiring people at her level because they will know what she's been through. You can have those generational talents like Rashida, you know, yeah. and fingers crossed. And I think sometimes with sprinters as well, it's less complicated for them sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Right. And uh, now she's a whole way to go in 400 metres. She's, I think she runs 400 metres, I think, like Bambi and ice. Like she still doesn't know how to run four. So her potential is just amazing. But she didn't, she's only in her second year in America, but she didn't make the American College's 200 metre final this year. That's what the standard, standard is yeah. like. Yeah. That's what the standard is like.
2: Mark Gallagher uh, focuses in on Ola Tunde and yeah. oh. uh, Rashida Adelecki. And he makes the point that for Adelecki, uh, this was her sixth yeah, competitive six, race 400. at four hundred meters. Yeah, so really, yeah. she's just a beginner almost. Yes, yeah, she
0: is. She department.
2: Is. Kieran will come to these two new superstars in a moment. But on McGeehan and that run,
1: yeah, because uh, I was in a different radio program on Friday, and you know that was the, the, the you know the emphasis in that program for the discussion was at how great the championship has been in Ireland, and I was a bit bewildered because generally. Yeah. You know, I think there were a lot of top eight performances and there were a lot of positives, but there had been no medal till here and again. And generally, Ireland, uh, Ireland do deliver medals to the European Championships, you know, more often than not. You know, it's not unusual to come home with one or two medals. And the bar is raised significantly. Next year, the main event is the World Championship. The following year, the main event is the Olympics. Like Israel Ollotundi was Ireland's fastest man after brilliant uh, Euros. And the new Irish record at 10.17 seconds. But there's not a hope again to a world championship final, Olympic final, with ten point one seven seconds over hundred meters. So you know people are, are being a bit unrealistic about where they're hyping these. Like I think Adelakey in particular is a great talent, but to me, looking across the papers, the story of the championship is Kieran again. And you know she's mentioned name in Aben Sweeney's column, uh, but it's not the the emphasis. The, the you know the brunt of it isn't about her. She's not mentioned at all in the way on Sunday. And the Sunday Times have ignored athletic, the athletics com- completely. Mm. And I think maybe it's a sign of where that paper is, you know, letting Dennis Walsh go, making some really strange decisions about their sports coverage. But, you know, Kira uh run was one of the most uh, courageous and bravest and intelligent uh, things I've seen from any Irish sports person in a long time. You know, that she just... She had a plan and she went for it, and you know it was interesting to hear her talk afterwards about she's thinking of working with a sprint coach. Yeah, really and that's how oh, she's not happy just because uh, because Laura kick. Muir has that over kick. the last yeah, yeah over the last two hundred meters she yeah. has a second over her and just to try to close the gap because Laura Muir isn't just a European star she's a world star yeah. Yeah. and that's what Kieran McGinn is looking to close that gap and what Kieran McGinn like Cleaner would say the same. Um, like, it's strange to the G.A. now, like even in Donegal, where I, where I spent a lot of time where I'm from, I would know a couple of the Donegal footballers and I would have met them a few times. And I'd actually know the likes of Kieran McGee and Thomas Barr and people like that more. That you, you get to know these people uh, because they open up to you from a very young age. And they're very open. You saw that in the interviews over the past week. And Athletics Ireland actually deserve credit. You get a bit of a kick in but they Yeah,
0: I think so as well. Did, they,
1: yeah, they put eight athletes up for interview before the championships, including most of the main ones. And also made them available during the week after they competed. Like you saw like across T V radio print all the lakey or sorry all and did a lot of interviews. It was great to see. But I wrote about this during the week and Mark has touched on it as well. It's also great because there's a revolution in Irish sport and you look it through most of the newcomers that have made the biggest impact with Stephen Kenny's squad, like Ademida, uh Gavin Bazunu, Kedosi O'Grady etc. They're of a Nigerian-Irish background, like Ol- Olatunde and Adeleke. Stefan Ochenbar won the all Ireland for Kerry last month, only for injury, he might well have started the game. His father's Nigerian, his mother's Moldovan. And people will tell you on the ground that that is having such a positive effect on Irish sport. Like I talked to jeremy Lyons coaches sophie becker who was in the four x 400 relay and his wife sinead galvin would be an agent to the likes of security in the thomas bar and sinead told me that uh our servant jeremy set up a new athletics club at clon griffin and the the sport is so popular at grassroots level they have a waiting list of 110 they can't cope with them right and that's a problem like athletics actually needs more clubs because there's huge demand for that but they need For clubs, clubs need tracks to train on. So you Mm -hmm. can't simply Mm -hmm. magically produce tracks. Mm. But she was saying uh, so many of the the athletes who've either come into the club or on the wait list are from African backgrounds or East European backgrounds, which is a more recent migration. And that can only help Irish sporting.
0: Yeah, that's a, I, um, Mark Gallagher's lovely piece in Mail on Sunday, just on that as well, on, on the New Ireland. And I always feel uncomfortable using that phrase in some ways. I remember somebody pulled me up on it on Twitter before. I remember when some of the young African Irish started to come through in Athletics, Gene and, and people like that, and saying, you know, they're not New Irish, they're Irish, you know. And so it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a loaded term, and I'm always worried about using it. But I'm yeah, I'm, I'm going to use it in this case. Them, I think a
1: lot of them do identify as Nigerian they do. Irish. They, they say African Irish, yeah, which is yeah, really yeah,
0: interesting. Yeah. I think it's fascinating, but um. I expect that and I I, I, I expected that to happen and it's brilliant to see it because it means that the work that's being done at club level is embracing local communities and diversity and that is what we what we clearly want in Irish society but it's going to happen I think we see it in football we see it in athletics we're going to see it I think in Irish basketball as well I think we're definitely going to see um, particularly Eastern European countries uh, we're we'll definitely see, begin to see Lithuanians countries where basketball is strong mm. we're going to see those coming through into Irish teams which is fantastic that new generation but the club thing is vital and Mark's piece is lovely because mm. he goes to the root of it and he talks to um, Cecil Cecil Johnson the guy Tala yeah and like Cecil you know in, and what he says is there's a character like Johnson in every athletics club in the country and every sports club in the country let's be honest you know for the more than 20 years he served whatever role Tala AC has needed chairman press officer secretary and of course coach and like without these people at grassroots level this would not be happening and that's why it's so important that coaching and support for coaching is really important. Athletics Ireland got it absolutely hammered in the post Olympic review. Um, but I think that from what I've seen, what happens is is actually their support for young athletes and through the Youth Olympics and everything is actually really good. It's when athletes get into those transitional phases, sometimes they and their coaches struggle because the money isn't there to help them get onto that next level. So this is where uh, I just why I think this is important. And I think it's really important that we're seeing and he talks about it as well. And a couple of them talk about it as well. And by the way, Mark English's you know form as well in these Europeans, I think, is something to be to be praised as well. But like we're seeing, Daniel Kilgallen, who who he's probably noticed, you've probably noticed in Carl Denny He mentions any, but like he. If Ray Dempsey got the Mayo job, there's talk that Daniel Kilgallen, um, that the sprint's coach, could work with we'll the group. crew. One yeah. second, Jill.
1: yeah. can I can I just make a quick point, Daniel Kilgallen, because there's so many coaches and a lot of people. will come. Like to I, him I mentioned, in Jeremy are, yeah, go on,
2: Joe, go on. Sorry, we'll come to that piece because he deserves a proper mention. We'll come to that called Danny piece in a second. Just to give people a sense of what Cecil Johnson is saying. Oh, yeah, it's lovely, lovely
0: piece. Adelecki, yeah. for
2: instance, who's now, you know, doing it on world stage and is over in America. I mean, he remembers in Tala. As a young girl, you could see she was a special talent. She was only 11 when she first came to the club. She was trying lots of different events. It was only a few years ago that she was winning the long jump in the Dublin Championship and coming third in the high jump. She ran cross country that year too, which was <laughs> three thousand five hundred meters. She didn't specialize in sprints until she was fourteen. She or
0: played three. basketball. She played badminton. Yeah. She was six foot one at fifteen. You see, we well, mustn't she, forget that's her stature. Apart from everything in. else, she is yeah. gifted physically, but she's making the most of her gifts, and she's brilliantly. She's brilliant application and discipline and ambition. I love her ambition.
2: I take your point totally on the hyperbole, maybe around the games. I I think the real excitement is that in Adelecki and Olutunde, nobody is expecting them to win Olympic golds or Olympic medals necessarily. Yeah. But just that for the first time in an age that we as Irish fans might oh, have a presence
0: oh, in sprinting yeah. events. Oh, of course, yeah. I yeah. understand. That's that. that's you're so, that's so right. That's key yeah. to it, Joe. So so Tune in for the those good are, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah those yeah, are the yeah. events
1: we'd never expected to have. Yes, you're so best. right.
0: Yeah, that's, that's so right. That's 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 that, that is and, the bottom and line. And yet, also, we've
1: been watching 50k walks and 400 meter hurdles. I don't have the attention span. It's big news every day. It's big news events day. We've normally focused on Well, and also, yeah, you're right. 5,000 and 10 tenor. We're having an interest in the sprint finals. Exactly. And also, as
0: you say, it's not as nerve wracking too. 5,000 five thousand metres we watched Sonia for years and the distance events and by the yeah. time you get to the end of them you're a wreck, is apart from watching them. It that's so true about that. And also their attitude is so is so positive and so charismatic and so ambitious, mm. so ambitious that they have no qualms about thinking I can be the best in the world. I just love that. Uh, all of attitude is fantastic. I mean, I knew hers was really good, but his is fantastic as yeah. well.
2: So, uh, just to mention, let's I mean, we can't do any story without a Mayo man involved somewhere. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. this is page 10 11 of the Sunday Independence. So, we've mentioned these two superstar sprinters, and a man who deserves uh, huge credit is Daniel Kilgallen, he's from Ballinan, County Mayo. And effectively, he has at different points coached uh, both Adelecki and uh, Olotunde and he, Adelecki's gone on he to... He
0: kind of hi- inherited Olotunde more. Yeah, than, yeah exactly. Yeah. She's gone on to I'm the States to and now yeah. he's worked
2: with Olotunde and brought him up to speed. And what I, mean, I suppose what jumps out about the interview is the, is the point you've made, which is that effectively, you know, there's a real wing and a prayer policy here in Irish sport that we should be aware of. This guy is doing this for basically no money. Like he has he does a bit of work with DCU and he's now been given a very short-term contract with Athletics Ireland. But his work with these two superstars that we've been praising is effectively uh, volunteer work. And he makes, you know, his money by doing if, as Kleina said, if Ray Dempsey gets in as Mayo manager, he might work with the team and get some money that way. But in effect, we don't have a policy here. Like this is just we're very lucky that he's given up his time and that he came in contact with these athletes and he was able to do it. But even he talks about the um, demands of the job. He got quite emotional at one stage on Friday in Munich when he was talking to Carl Denny, who wrote this piece, and mm. how his wife, Kleene, is at home. She's a full time job. He's got children. He said, You get upset because you feel so bad. You're here worrying about check marks. But my wife has a full time job, two kids. A lot of coaches wander around with guilt because we're affecting other areas of our life. It can get overwhelming. And at the end of every season you see it in a lot of coaches' faces. So kind of an amazing insight into what he's um, done. And he talked about how with Adelecki <laughs> she had injuries, so he had to completely redo her form. That's so she, you know, she wouldn't be as susceptible to injuries. And Ulatunde as well. He had to, as the piece says, uh, his ego had to take the hits as girls outpaced him in sessions of three hundred <laughs> meter reps, but he stuck at it and they worked through, you know, twenty twenty where the pandemic was on and he's matured and he's he's got up to speed. But what just jumped out to me more than anything, Kleena, is that point that this guy, Daniel Kilgallen, has always done a very good job with these two new superstars. Yeah. Why is he not employed somewhere in the Irish infrastructure?
0: Yeah. Um, you could say the same about um, Phil Healy's coach, Shane McCormack, Jeremy Lyons, F- Phelan Kelly. A lot of these people who... Jerry Kiernan. Were Jerry Kiernan before them and Devlo O'Rourke's coaches never got a penny. All of that our problem has always been that like we'd go to major championships and you'd see an army of coaches with the british team and you know there are loads of them all paid and yeah. the money wasn't here the size of the country is not there but there is definitely at this point and it's all we've always they've always argued this that there has to be a way to support coaches to to do this job professionally certainly to be able to to get gi- to give them the money to allow them to go around the world which some of them do at their own cost to learn from other coaches, because that's basically what they're doing at the moment. And a lot of them are just juggling voluntary coaches who juggle with a full time job. Um, And this is this is a jump that Ireland has to make, I think, in a lot of sports, not just in in athletics, but it is like who pays the coaches, Mm. you know, because you can't be depending forever. And if you're if you're in this, um, if you're in this altitude, you know, if you're reaching this altitude with young athletes, how will we how will we help the coaches Mm to maintain their expertise and to keep moving along with them, you know, and and what I love about them is their attitude and I know you probably both have seen this before, they used to, you get coaches before who were very um, sort of, you know, minding their athlete, wouldn't share information I mean Daniel Gilgan did an interview on Off The Ball during the week and he he gave credit to every single person who was working with his athletes and the previous coaches who worked with them, Um, I think um, the man Fox was the man who used to coach Rashid out and uh, Talha originally Daniel, might be Daniel Fox might be his name I could have that wrong so I love that attitude they're now collaborating these young coaches they're sharing information they're willing to work together they're willing to let athletes work together and that has been missing in Irish athletics for a long time and I think there's a big sea change in attitude there with the coaches but they need support probably
2: they do and Kieran they have to find
0: that money you know, you know you look at you, I, I passed the new children's hospital Joe sorry for interrupting you today well, that's been good value which has <laughs> exactly and I'm just thinking imagine if you just got one million at that that and could put that into coaching yeah. in, for Irish sports, Irish coaches. Beg
2: the question, Kieran, when we see the uh, funding going to sports, I suppose, like GEA, which can very much stand on their own two feet if we have things out of kilter.
1: Well, I think it brings up the whole issue of funding across the board because politicians love funding where, you know, they can be seen to give a check to a star name or they can be they can cut the ribbon at a new, impressive facility, whereas the Institute of Sport or the Aquatic Centre or whatever. But putting money into coaching doesn't give you a photo wall. No. You know, you know, And it might take years for it to bear fruition, but it's the most fundamental investment that's needed now in Irish sport that across the board, so many talented Irish coaches, you know, from hockey to boxing, are now working mm-hmm. overseas mm-hmm. because they can't get a full-time job here. You know, and it says a lot that the supposedly amateur sports in the GAA can give some income to the, some of these coaches when they go in and help out, but in their own sports they can't make a penny or they struggle to make anything out of it. And, uh, there, there are there uh, are quality coaches in Ireland now, far better quality than were there in the past, and they're doing it as a hobby because they've no choice, and it's not right, and it should be supported. But I don't see any will from. I've never seen a will from the sports minister, any sports minister, to make that happen.
0: And they can make a living, which is a point you were making earlier, Joe. They can actually make a living as professional coaches, particularly in the S&C area and all that kind of area, um, and, and trainers. In team sport yeah. here, you know, because team sport, there's money in team sport, but they actually can't do it in a lot of individual yeah. sports, you know. And you even you even look at somebody like Jack Woolley, you know, his, his coach is I think he works as, a, as an architectural technician or something, you know, voluntary, voluntary. A lot of our Olympic athletes, their coaches are voluntary across mm. a lot of sports
2: To Well, I, I suppose they're uh, connected in some ways. Sarah Keane is interviewed in Life magazine in the Sunday independence. So Sarah Keane is a very prominent figure in Irish sport over the last number of years. Uh, She was a solicitor. She became CEO of Swim Ireland in 2004. And in the wake of the fallout from the Rio Games and the departure of Pat Hickey, she became president of the Olympic Federation. And so she's interviewed here by Emily Horrokin. It's very much a profile piece. So, for instance, the conversation we've just had about funding or policy, None of that is really talked about here. And maybe that's fair enough. This is more of a profile piece about someone who's having an extraordinary career, really. And and that's the jumping off point in this interview. Uh, Sarah Keane has the kind of CV that inspires respect, certainly. Perhaps a little envy and and definitely a degree of how is the opener. She's been CEO of Swim Ireland for almost 20 years, during which time the organisation has gone from just two employees to a staff of 39 with a revenue of 4.5 million. She's president of the Olympic Federation of Ireland, on the board of the Central Bank and a talented swimmer who has represented Ireland at water polo. She also has three children. So that's pretty impressive, I think you would have to say. And I suppose, Clean, the main thrust of the article as it navigates through Keane's career is really her expanding on the juggling act that that all is,
0: yeah, and and also which I didn't probably realise a bit about her, and she's a very powerful figure in Irish sport I and mean, one of the most important people really as President Olympic Federation and very involved in the International Olympic Federation and also because of the whole restructuring of Irish swimming and and the Olympics as well. But what struck me about it is she, there's just one line in it. I just think it's really really important, and she it, which is which is she says, people ask. I get asked, how do you... Well, first, I I didn't realise kind of... She kind of accidentally fell into a lot of these things. It wasn't as strategic as I thought. She's a very strategic person. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is, she's asked, how do you manage everything? You know, how do you... and, And she says, the way I manage everything is by failing at some things. And that can affect your confidence. And I think that's a really interesting thing because it applies to athletes and it applies to coaches. Very often coaches have this dilemma of... Which exactly is exactly what uh, Daniel Gallen said. You feel guilty about neglecting one area of your life, particularly your children's lives or whatever. and she, she, she says, you you fail. You fail at some things and you have to accept that you're not going to do everything yeah. perfectly. So I thought that was really good. And then she talks as well about, about, you know, making time for yourself. And she, she there's a great line that she was going out one night for a swim and her five year old said you're going out again. Mm. And, and she said, I almost didn't leave. I was about to come back in. And the other half said to him, no, hang on a second. Did you go swimming earlier in the week? Who brought you? Mammy. And you're going to football tomorrow. And who's bringing you? Mammy. Do you not think Mammy should be able to go and do her own session? And the five year old said, Mommy, go and have a good session. And, like, for, co- for athletes and coaches, you have to have really good sports structures yourself to say, to make that decision to say, Oh, I'm going to go and get that qualification and I'm going to really pursue and become a really good technical coach, which is what we need in all our sports. You know, yeah. you have to make those hard decisions, but also you have to be afraid not to fail. And she has another great line that she said um, she's talked about taking on the Olympic. Olympic job and why'd she take it on and, and um, Emily Horne says that was a brave move and she says I guess it was brave that's one of the things that I ask myself now as I look back and as I'm getting older can you continue to be brave it's harder to be brave as time goes on yeah I think that happens to a lot of people with age for sure in sport as well as everything else even when you're managing teams you less the younger you are the ris- the better risk taking you are less
1: to lose yeah less to yeah, lose yeah yeah I remember Archie McConnell talking about that once and he said um as you get older you, you realize things can go wrong yeah or <laughs> you have no fear when you're younger like yeah. another thing you know do you see that with the likes of at the lake and all the sunday you know that everything's great this week mm. you know like uh he talked about uh injury free all year she had 51 races like next year who knows what could happen? that's phenomenal you no know, these things yeah. knock you back yes like that's why kira mcgian had to come through so much yeah so many knockbacks and you know uh, and the fact that she's well, she's put a huge amount of work into her sports psychology with Katie Kerr because she had to get mentally stronger because she had to deal with all those setbacks. And I think, uh, you know, Sarah Helia started that process. And I think it was standard down the line. But generally, uh, and I sometimes see it a lot of with a lot of athletes in different sports, the best days come early. And that could be down to a lack of fear at a younger age.
2: Mm. Uh, Sarah Keane's background, I know you two are familiar with it. But I wasn't au okay fait with everything. Like there's a great scene where her dad phoned her and said, you haven't filled out your CEO for.
0: Yeah, I like? didn't know. I didn't know that. actually. Yeah, She's like, yeah. well,
2: can you fill it out for me? And you're very angry at her and <laughs> saying, this is your future. So she stuck down law, figured it you know, wouldn't be too bad. And she's asked about her career. And I i love that she said, I think I'm very lucky. Yeah. I think anyone who does anything really in life has had a fair degree of... Uh, look and she said I feel very uh, privileged and she went to UCD swimming scholarship in Ohio life was very different this was 30 years ago I learned an awful lot about life it was amazing I'd almost never seen a black person Cleveland is 60% black condoms were freely available in the dorms I came from a very Catholic Ireland to the States where I met people who were choosing their religion that alone in a way it was probably a sensory overload in a year she came back
0: but there's Don't. the bravery. She had a four-year scholarship, and she quit it after a year. So
2: she knew that she wanted yeah. to live in Ireland. So obviously, That's a big decision. A yeah. law degree here more applicable and um, yeah, yeah, just very interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I thought, thought it was th- interesting
0: because I think what you you know that whole bravery thing and that and that not being afraid to fail. I think that applies to athletes and coaches and administrators. Yeah. You know, and we're and it's so important. We've often talked about governance as well. You know, that comes the whole way through sports, really.
2: And she said something about the guilt that I think, um, well, mothers yeah. in particular probably feel. Yeah, and yeah, had, absolutely. Great line that her mother worked very hard and was often away. And she uh, of that guilt, because I suspect maybe mothers now of a generation who are working full time for the first time are feeling that guilt. But Sarah Keen's mother was away a lot. And what she said was, I always saw that and always saw it in a positive way. It gave me confidence when I decided I wanted to keep working after having my kids. I didn't worry about the fact that I wasn't there all the time because I had that, and it didn't affect me. So I guess it's nice when you've. Been when through you know it, as it. A kid, yeah.
0: yeah. When you know that it's, yeah, you can yeah, that it's that it can make you strong. Actually, she's saying, yeah, exactly.
2: So you get a great a sense piece. of, of yeah. her as a person for sure. I don't have any sense of what kind of job she's doing
0: yeah that's it Well, and the piece isn't on that really I exactly I, I don't yeah. even mean from the yeah. piece
2: I get the piece but I, I don't know if either of you two have a sense of the Olympic Federation or the changes or is it well, going the, the,
1: the, the good the, the most positive aspect is we don't talk about it much yeah, yeah. you know there, there, there been it's not in cele- the news <laughs> yeah there are celebrities. you know there have been a lot of celebrity sports administrators in Ireland the last thing you want from a sports administrator to be a celebrity mm. or for your federation to be making headlines on the front pages and generally the Olympic Federation and Swim Ireland are getting along with things in a low key fashion, which would indicate things are going well.
0: Yeah. And I do think yeah. there the, the the Olympic movement where it is good at, and where we're seeing it now is that all at Thunder and people like him uh, and, and, and Rashida as well, they've had success at Youth Olympics and Junior Olympics. And people say, oh, what's that about? And what do you send them all the way across, you know, over to, you know, Argentina for whatever and all that. But actually, they are benefiting from the experiences they're having at that level, you know. And they're coming up against athletes that they beat when they were fifteen or seventeen, and uh, or beat them when they were fifteen or seventeen. And now they're, you know, I always remember Gillian O'Sullivan, uh, our our first medalist in in Olympic race walking, and telling me one time she won a she won a world silver uh, world silver i think it was 2003 in paris and i remember her saying the previous year i think she was away training in high altitude and she saw the world champion and she started watching her and she realized she trains exactly the same way i do she doesn't do anything magical totally humanises them and also gives you confidence in what you're doing and thinking actually what we're doing in Ireland is right because we're quite disconnected you know uh, geographically and everywhere we're quite disconnected from and that's why our coaches it costs them money to go abroad and do courses and do all this kind of stuff you know and and plug into high technical talent elsewhere even if that's like you know going to Australia to work with Sonia's you know husband Phelan Kelly has done that they go you know they put a lot of effort into um, making themselves expert and they really I think need more financial support.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, that's a very fair answer Kieran and the fact it's all running smoothly and there's no uh, scandals is a good sign. The last sports administrator I remember in Life magazine was in the rooftop party. <laughs>
1: Scottish,
2: <laughs> so. Slightly different occasion here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a time a time happy gimmick. days. A, t- a
1: image. <laughs> I have a <laughs> while here. I have yes.
2: a <laughs> A, a kind of a broad question. We'll finish up in just a moment on Eden Derry being the home of women's boxing, which is amazing. Uh, I, I totally passed me by, I must say. On GEA split season coverage then, we have Christy O'Connor writing Thank about you. the rise of the sweeper-keeper. We have Colm O'Rourke talking about the difficulties at finding the right cut-off point for minor grade, age level. We have Joe Brawley on his four rule changes to save football. We have Nadine Doherty talking about... Uh, female players going over to play Australian football uh, so anything caught eye in particular any overarching point on um, coverage well, post-All-Ireland finals?
1: Well, yeah, what I find is that, uh, the coverage post-All-Ireland how dull it's been Joe, I think because there, there are very valid reasons for, for a split season and it does seem it does remain to be seen whether the current format is the one you want to go with but it is a challenge for the media because uh, clubs Football, hurling, camogie, etc. I think uh, it's suited to local media, you know, within counties, whether national media coverage in terms of club level, that it it's very hard to get stories, club stories, that grab a national audience. And I found a lot of stuff is just filler already, and we're only a couple of weeks into it. That it's, there's a lot of lists, there's a lot of nostalgia stuff. Like Joe Brawley's column and the rules he would like is quite interesting, but I think he's, He's mentioned these world changes three or four times in the past. Like it's nothing new, really. Um, like, so uh, I think, you know, we're into August and we're only into, you know, the there's another week in August and Intercounty Action doesn't start up for another four or five months. So I think it will be a challenge for GA reporters and people because across the board in the media, there is a feeling that you need to have some GA content every day. and. It's you could, So I don't know what what we're looking at it when when the barrel does seem to be scraped at some uh, uh, already, you know, with some of the stuff I've read across the last couple of weeks.
0: It's I, difficult. Yeah, well, I think I I I think I sometimes think that the interest in the club championships is overstated. I think it's very local. I just you know that will be the test now. Will be how do you maintain the interest in? It? There are brilliant. There are always brilliant individual you know, stories there and there's loads of human interest stories there. How how you translate that and, and keep a national audience will be interesting to see how that happens. Um, Brawley's one it was interesting today, I think, because he brings a lot of his ideas together, but he doesn't think that, w- he doesn't mention the one, far be, me, far be it for me to tell Joe Brawley how to do his job, but he doesn't mention the one thing that I think would change uh, Gaelic football hugely and n- never mind about the sweepers and all the rest And that is don't allow a score to be scored by the hand. It would change totally how... Many scores are from outside, and also the action in the goal goalmouth would change it totally. But that's a, that's a different one. And I do, can I, I do us, can want. I,
2: can I give us four rules? If oh I, if, yeah. If I was, if I was listening, <laughs> one at of them home, is
0: too complicated. <laughs> if I was listening at
2: home. I'd be screaming. Give me the bloody four take rules, Go Four rules, listen.
0: goja. <laughs> uh, number
2: one, goalkeeper cannot take a pass from an outfield player. Infringement would be a penalty. Uh, number two, at adult level, at adult level, the kick-out must be kicked from the thirteen-meter line, and it must go or beyond, beyond 45, the forty-five. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number three once the ball has gone over the halfway line can't be played that's back over it
0: so right that's like the that? one I'd have in straight away it's basketball rules. bring it in you can't go backwards right? over the five halfway line yep.
2: and then uh, well policing here might be tricky but no <laughs> sweeper no sweeper zonal defending prohibited inside a 40 metre exclusion zone infringement is a free this kick. is
0: the hard one yeah that's hard very place. complicated yeah that but
2: one in effect it would yeah. mean David Clifford can't be dual marked and there'd be no sweeper but there are the four how rules.
0: are you going to police that yeah,
1: and then, yeah. Th- th- there's probably a strong argument for shot that. As in basketball as well. So, because so many t- teams play the tedious possession game, okay? slow it down and just, just passing it over and back and backwards. And like uh, you know, you've seen it in some games. Play, teams keeping the ball for thirty yeah, seconds, yeah. Three, minutes, donkey, three minutes. donkey, as he calls it. <laughs> yeah, and not not even attempting a shot yeah. three, over three minutes possession. And if you if you had thirty seconds to get a shot off, it would be hard. fit you would have to have a specific official, I think, to time it. A referee couldn't do uh, it.
0: But oh, it would God, make yeah.
1: it more exciting.
0: I don't, and I don't think the, the the pass back over the half a line that you couldn't reverse, that's dead easy to do. I don't think that's difficult to please at all, actually.
2: To what extent, though, because when two good teams meet, the game is extraordinary. To what extent, though, is just just a situation whereby average teams will produce an average contest too often and that these rules, yeah, they introduce a degree of chaos, but actually the game at the very top level played amongst the very best two, three, four teams, is absolutely exceptional right now. We want to be very yeah. careful about what we go messing with.
1: Mm. Yeah, I agree, And if you look they at uh, if you look at what if you look at what Joe Brawley played in the nineties, and look at back some of those games. I can't watch those, those now. Yeah, you look at this ball. It's <laughs> great games of the seventies. Like it's primitive, Stone Age football. Would, it's would, bad. It's just bad in a different way. A different bad way. football yeah. now is bad, but bad <laughs> football back then was bad in different a different way. way.
2: Like I'd have a con- So uh, you know that um, you have to kick it past the forty-five. Like so, yeah. if, if one team are on top in midfield, well then, effectively you're destroying the contest because the team who mightn't have a competitive midfield have no. But that's be. always
0: been that way. Yeah. But if you
2: just have to keep booting it to their two six foot six midfielders and they keep winning the ball That'd be the dullest contest of all time. Whereas at least if they have the option <laughs> exactly. of going short and rin- maintain yeah, possession, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you got the market, so the market well, has caused havoc as Well,
0: I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of the market, the particular forward market. Don't make see any right yeah. sense of that. You can't defend if you, you know, play with different wins four free scores four frees. How can you, how can you defend yeah. against that? It's crazy.
2: It always breaks your heart when Clifford or someone comes and takes a mark, and instead of them turning and running that oh. goal, oh. the game stops.
0: Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. You know, I, the one, uh, the one, the one thing I do like to see some coverage of actually, um, and Nadine Doherty has some in the Sunday. Indo and Maliki Clerken had some of the Irish Times Saturday is the exodus of women's players to the AFLW and do some discussion of that because I think that it's right to be a discussion on it we're going to have 21 really good women's footballers not playing for the counties this year because next season because of the change in the AFL calendar Um, and I just think like Nadine's piece people will be very interested by it she's saying you know it'll it'll level out it'll sort itself out yes. but i disagree because women are going to australia because the conditions in, in australia are way better than here where if you get injured here you're paying for your own injuries you don't get expenses you don't get a lot of things that the male players get that that, that doesn't impinge on their lives as much and i think that's why you're getting such an exodus to AFLW is because it's harder to be a female daily footballer here and play at the very top level than it is to be a male
2: yeah to be fair to Nadine Doherty in her piece I think absolutely agree with you that the interest will always be here to go but I think she's arguing the league is just in its infancy over there and so they need to populate the league with players and there's going to be a lag between the National Academy, which has been set up, it's in its sixth yes,
0: year. Yes, in in, in, soon, in AFL home-grown, era, yeah.
2: homegrown players will.
0: Yeah, over. yeah, and there was a bit of that in the men's where they weren't looking to recruit abroad as much. But you know, like it it is affecting women's teams here, and when and like some and some counties it won't affect them as much because yeah. they have the depth of players. So Sinead Goldrick, Dublin, you know, could afford to lose something like Carr But look at Tipperary, who've lost two really brilliant players, and and Camogie has been affected as well because yeah. one of them play, was a brilliant dual player, So. Like it, it is having an impact. What I like to see is I like to see pieces like this by Dinadine who, who make you think about it and make yeah. people talk about it. and I think that's important because 21 really good players, and some of them, as I said, lot, yeah. you know, um, and the
2: higher profile, the high profile,
0: well. and Bly Macken has gone from Armad. These are big players for these teams to lose. No, yeah,
2: I think like the country's just really getting to know Vicky yeah, Wall, yeah, Vicky yeah, Wall, for instance. Yeah. And now, yeah, gone yeah. And Vicky
0: Wall's gone and, and Orly Lally, like you know, and I and actually, Vicky Wall is one of those players that I think could do really well in AFLW. Yeah, I think she's suited to, to the game. It, yeah. yeah, I think she's really suited to the game. So it's going to be interesting, but it's brilliant to see it being discussed and to see to see that kind of coverage of it in the papers and the space for it.
2: Uh, you both picked out this piece. So um, Liam Burton in Eden Derry, in effect. And this had passed me by, Kieran, But in effect, Eden Derry has become the home of women's boxing internationally. So this is Sean McGoldrick in The Sunday Independent. And he paints the beginnings of this gym in Eden Derry. It was fin- founded in 1933 and had to beg, borrow and steal and move to different locations from badminton holes to GEA clubs until it got its own premises eventually. And so at the moment, uh, this has become almost a destination point for female boxers all over the world, that there are uh, female boxers here, Irish grown, who are, you know, amongst the best in the world to spar against. And so you've got, you know, like Canadian boxer Jordan Conrad trained in Derry last week, said it's the place to come. I can't get so many quality rounds of sparring anywhere else. Everybody in Canadian boxing knows about Eden Derry's Centre of Excellence. It's where all the elite females want to come and train. Uh, Sweden was the first country to send a full squad. Poland came next. Canada made two trips in the space of a few months. Now, virtually every country in Europe sends female squads, and boxers keep returning to uh, this gym in Eden Derry. So Mary's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a pretty extraordinary uh, story, Kieran.
1: Yeah. Um, like Lee Morley brought in. Uh, would have engaged with him a bit on social media over the years because he's somebody that always fights the corner for boxing here the positives of the sport and you know particularly the positives for for young girls and women you know he's been at the heart of that uh you know his family Paul Kimmage wrote a famous piece I think it was the 25th anniversary of the Ali Al Blue fight in Pro Park and he talked to he basically focused on the people who built the ring, and, you know, and that was Beyrton's family,
0: yeah, you know, day.
1: and uh, that is the ring that was put, it was dismantled then in Croke Park and it was taken back to the Derry boxing club. You know, that's a great part of the story, but, you know, uh, it's easy to forget, you know, there's a side piece on this by Eamon Sweeney and it goes into what has been won by Irish boxers this year in at amateur level in different competitions. And it's kind of gone under the radar a bit and i think it's partly because boxing Irish boxing both at amateur and professional level it's image has taken such a battery and the you know at amateur level the iaba is an absolute mess the infighting that goes on the resignations that seem to happen all the time the lack of uh you know the, the struggle to have proper leadership because people are fighting with each other all the time and this this impacts big time Hmm. But there are people like Wirt who are doing do, doing great work, and to have top boxers from all around the world coming to Eden Derry because there's so much talent here, says a lot. You know, and he has been recognised worldwide. He worked with the Cayman Islands, he worked with Sierra Leone, you know. But his heart is in Eden Derry and that is as much a hot as. Of oh, sport, the skipper arena is for rowing, but the you interesting is for boxing. Yeah,
0: the, and the interesting thing was, and I remember I, I talked to a few years ago, and I was I was fascinated by him. I have to say, it's to my. To my own shame that I didn't get him on the podcast. But um, he, he he admits himself that when Katie Taylor won in 2010, his daughter said, oh, God, you know, we should be doing something for her. And he was like, oh, girls can't box. And now he's just he became this unbelievable advocate for women's boxing. So what is what he's done in the last few years? I think 20, I'm not sure whether the la- when 2019, certainly I remember. He had 230 female boxers from all over the world. I think it was 25 countries. And they used to come and have this international women's sparring. In Eden Derry for a week, mm-hmm. like Mary, Mary, the famous Mary Combe, the incredible Indian boxer, six-time world champion. She's been in Eden Dairy loads of times, and he went around to all the local businesses and he got them all to sponsor. So, like they, you, you'll feed them one day and you'll feed them another, and you'll keep those in right. your B and B. And he did all these deals, and it's extraordinary what he's been doing down there. Absolutely amazing what he's doing doing down there, and. Over the years as well, he's been a very vocal critic because he then he starts saying, well, look, what are the IAB doing and why aren't they doing it? And So he fell out in a big way with the IAB right. and this covers it as well. But it's a great piece by Sean McGoldrick and really well worth listening. And I was amazed. <laughs> I was looking at his Twitter feed, I don't know when, a couple of months ago, and I saw... Uh, boxing director or something in uh, for the Cayman Islands and I went how did that happen and this explains how that happened as well and there was a great photo of him at the world championships because he's there in his Cayman Island t-shirt and he's on a, he's on a on a rostrum with um, Lisa O'Rourke and Amy Broadhurst after they won the world championship title so he's a massive advocate for female boxing has been bringing in international world class boxers and young boxers, young female boxers for this particular women's clinic that's run down in, in Eden Derry, right. which he has organized for years for I don't know I don't when it's ten started, say maybe mid mid two thousands or mid two thousand and tens.
2: Yeah. He's the development manager with the Cayman, Cayman Islands. I mean
0: Island. I just went only Liam Verdon could, could be involved in that. But he is really um he's just been such a vocal supporter and he's on everybody's case all the time and and, and his Twitter feed is you know really one to follow as well
2: the man likes to split his time between Eden Derry and the Cayman Islands (laughs) it's absolutely
0: but I mean some of the stuff he's done you, you go what really you did that really he's incredible but it goes back it goes
1: back to to what we were talking about before you know he has to go abroad get paid workers Yeah, he went for a job yeah, at the IBA sure. didn't get it. So yeah.
0: yeah, well, he pretty. was he's, I think he's a businessman. I mean, because when he was that's doing true. a lot of this stuff, he was using all his business contacts and not afraid yeah. to lean on a local politician or two as well to get some money out of them. Yeah,
1: because I, he's got a quarter of a million in grants for reading dairy for yeah. the boxing club, which is great because a lot of boxing clubs are deprived of funding. But he had to take that on himself, as it makes clear. Like, he had to make the calls and basically be, be raked and cadole a lot of politicians. And he had a run in with one politician's wife, he said. He was he was a bit short-tempered on the phone whether He didn't realise it was wife, uh, the politician's <laughs> wife. But, but it worked for him, you know, he did get funds for them. And, you know, you have to fight your corner. There's a great... so much of the funding goes to the big sports.
0: Yeah, there's a great picture on one of his Twitter. Uh, his Twitter Sorry, when, when
2: Kieran says he's a bit short with the minister's wife, he told her to F <laughs> off. <laughs> and short, the minister isn't? rang back. He's like, just tell my wife to F <laughs> off.
0: <laughs> And yet I'd say the minister probably listened to him. Oh, he said they're yeah. good friends. Yeah, then. yeah, there you go. That's him. No, he is. He is a very, very interesting man. It's a great piece, lovely photo of him. And there's a great picture on his Twitter feed. If you go back into it, of his dad building the ring in Uh, Crow Park Park, for for Ali, yeah, 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 which is the 50th anniversary this year, isn't it? So so it links in with all of that.
2: Some of that 250k Kieran mentioned, the most recent thing they did was install cameras above the rings for 16,000. So it means when, for instance, there's an Indian boxer over training yeah. her coaches can watch via YouTube at home and see the training sessions. And he,
0: he, he posts videos. You see the videos down there. Like, as I said, it's, it's a one week in August that he does this international women's camp. They all mm-hmm. come for, from all over the world. But if you look at the little videos that he puts up, yeah. little girls down there training. I mean, oh, oh my goodness, it's amazing.
2: I, I was wondering, because Sean Goldrick does right, outside the tightly knit boxing community, few in Eden Derry realise that the girl ahead of them in the supermarket yeah. could be a world champion. It, I presume people in Derry are pretty aware of it now. Maybe not. Maybe it is just uh, kind of.
0: Well, they probably the just say, oh, that's one of, you know, one of the women in doing the training camp for Liam. But they wouldn't be aware of their status, the probably caliber. the calibre yeah. of people. said Mary Calm. I mean, Katie Taylor will talk about Mary Com for years, you know, super, super, superstar. There yeah, you great. I mean, just to the passion people can develop. And, and what's incredible, as I said, is that they were boxing people, but he wasn't initially an advocate for women at all. And his daughter said, oh, hold on. You know, let's think about this. And Katie Taylor, you know, just things changed. And how quickly things can change if you get somebody
1: mm. who
0: has that fire inside A in them. A decade. And strong. You know, somebody who's not afraid of people as well.
2: Clean Foley, thank you for coming to the studio. Thank you, Jim. Kieran Cunningham, thank you so much.
1: No problem. Thanks, The Sunday Papers on Off the Ball.